What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 36 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm very well, man. I'm excited to be uh, having another podcast again today. I'm excited to be having a podcast that hopefully sounds <laughs> correct. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Got, got our fingers crossed that we have fixed the audio issues that we had on previous podcasts where if you were listening on earphones, I would come through one earphone and Sam would come through the other. Uh, I believe I've fixed that now. However, knowing my luck, we probably won't, won't have any audio on this podcast at all. And all people hear is, rrr, rrr, ha, rrr. That's that's the kind of silence. Well, we fixed it coming through both earphones. Just this time, it's silence coming through. Which, to be fair, is probably better than some of the shit we come out with. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We're fortnightly rock and metal podcast brought to you by the absolute gents at Noise at Cut UK. On the last show that we did, which I released last week, because we, as I mentioned, I couldn't fit that all into the previous episode, was my interview with Rotting Out to Walter Delgado. I hope anyone listening to that enjoyed it because I really love doing that interview and we did a review of the new Trivium record what the dead men say this week's episode is going to be the continuation of Sam's greatest metal album of all time list as well as reviews on the new Havoc record five and the new Asking Alexandria album like a house on fire at the moment on noise.co.uk you can catch reviews on Boston Manor's new record glue the new gold key album panic machine and the new scavengers ep are we alone now i wanted to mention before we uh, massively got into the show that good as gold pr who help us massively and are part of the reason why we're able to even do a podcast they have got a the tours that never were fundraisers running basically what they've done is they've collected and compiled a group of artists who never managed to get on tour because of the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic and they've put that together on like a lineup list on a t-shirt and a poster you can buy it all from the website which I will leave in the description and anything that you purchase will be split between bands charities and tour crew as well as that there is a Save Our Venues national initiative which is running at the moment. It was launched by the Music Venue Trust. Um, it's, it's basically what it says on the team. Hundreds of independent venues are at risk of closing down forever because of what's happening at the moment. So, obviously, you'll feel allegiance to whichever venue is closest to you in terms of geographically, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention Fuel Rock Bar in this discussion here because Fuel is based in Cardiff, which is where Noise started up from our owner, Jack Holloway. And the website started in that bar when he worked there and he just started up this random blog. And he was like, can I review the bands? Do you mind? They said no, because they're very nice people. And that, that's Noise in a nutshell. Obviously, you can hear the Chris Meets Jack episode that I previously conducted to hear full details on that. But in a nutshell, that's how it started. And me and Sam have had many a great evening <laughs> in fuel haven't we sam yes indeed um i've got many evenings that i don't remember from fuel as well that um live long in somebody else's consciousness <laughs> we're wonderfully they're wonderfully enjoyable too i've never had anything less than eight out of ten time when i've been in fuel it's a really great place really great atmosphere the doormen are sound uh the barmen are wicked it, you know it's it's a really really great place so of course you'll focus on the venue that's closest to your heart. But we had to mention Fuel Rock Club here. Oh, again, I will leave the link for the um, crowdfunder for you to go on to. And if you can donate and spare anything, that would be amazing. If we get onto the show, Sam, I'm very excited because I'm about to ask you what's the 16th greatest metal album of all time. 
Fantastic. It is System of a Down's Toxicity. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I feel literally every week when I ask you when we finish, what's the next one going to be? And you tell me, like, I'm, I just, it's just another banger after banger. It's getting more and more excited. Uh, for mm-hmm. me, for me, like, obviously, this is your list. For me, this would be higher than 16 in, in my personal list. This is, this is the third vinyl I ever bought, uh, American Idiot, Holy Hell and then Toxicity, which gives you a roundabout Not a bad idea. collection, by not the a, way. Not, not, a bad, a, not a bad start. Not a bad start at all. And that gives you a roundabout idea for what I feel about this album. And there's just, there's just so much to, to go into here. And I think, I think if we start off by me throwing something out there and seeing whether you agree, as far as albums that are isolated and unique... I feel like this is the most reflective of those two elements of the top 20 that we've done so far. I think that, I think that's fair to say. I think this is the most influential album that doesn't have any direct influences in terms of there's no, like, you know, we talk about Metallica, Maiden, all these sort of bands. There's like um, a whole plethora of bands that you say, oh, they're there because of that band. Absolutely. There's no, there's no band that's there because of System of a Down because no one can sound like System of a Down. Absolutely. Um, there's no one that grew up listening to Toxicity being like, oh yeah, let's let's try an Armenian metal combination. Um, let's try and combine Eastern European music with deathcore. Let's see if that works for us. No one can do that. When we're talking about um other bands and other musicians, and we were talking about the likelihood, we were talking about Linkin Park, and yeah. about how rare it is that they all came together. Dude, when, when, do, do we ever get another System of a Down? Absolutely not. No chance. Does, does, it, does it ever happen in another no. lifetime? Like, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, we are so lucky to have had this band. Like, name another great, and it's not, nothing against the region, but name another great metal band from Armenia. Now another metal band from Armenia and any of the six surrounding countries. It just it's not a region that produces great rock music, just historically. So for them to be able to do that and also translate to the point where they're one of the top twenty metal albums ever. Um and three of three of the top hundred as well. Uh it's it's extraordinary. I don't think we'd get another system of a down for another six lifetimes. I, th- I think they're that. I think they're that unique because you made a great point there. Things have sounded like Hybrid Theory and Justice for All and Appetite for Destruction, which is the three albums that we've discussed previously to this in the, yeah. in the top twenty. Things have sounded like those albums since they came out, and that's not that's not to negate from those albums' quality. That is, those albums were so good that a lot of bands were like, "Fucking, I will just. Why don't we just do that? That's amazing." No one yeah. can sound like System of a Down. No, no um, one can do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, from from a combination of, and as well, like not just musically. Um, I've we've heard me and you both have heard bands that have great political causes and great yeah. social commentary. Like um, Architects are a really good example of this, right? Um, they're a band who are massively in favour of the environment, and um, Sam Carter as a big left wing politician, and do you know what I mean? Like, and his lyrics reflect those ideals. But I've never heard a band so brazen as System of a Down either. <laughs> no, this, this isn't like, oh, we kind of wish everyone was nice to it, nicer to each other, which is generally the message of most like metal 
politics, which is like, you know, um, everything's rubbish and we need to be better and the system's horrible and, and all that sort of stuff. Sister River Down are like, nah, 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 the prison population's 20% more than you said that it would. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, you've been, um, you've been arresting people in our home country and uh, ignoring for war conflicts. And those are the fucking verse lyrics. That's, that's like, it's not even like a subtle metaphor like, like most rock bands go for or something. And while you're there, legalise drugs. Yeah, absolutely. And here's, here's 17 dissertations as to why that would be a really good idea. Um, it's, just, it's just incredible. Um, so the, a combination of the individuality of the sound and the, the, the brutality of the lyrics in terms of its boldness and really how accurate it was. Yeah. Um, this, this, is a, this is equivalent to like, this is like, do you remember the WikiLeaks? Yes. This is like that with metal, isn't it? It's like that with a metal soundtrack. When that when that broke blew up and it was like really damaging for like politics and pointed fingers were being pointed at the highest highest people in in, in our society and things. This is the the, the, the musical equivalent to that because this is a smart band. Yes, that had that had that had spent years of their lives growing up in um, political unrest and uh, victims of genocide. Like a lot, um, Serge Tankian and. Um, Darren Malakian are related to people that have died in the Armenian genocide by the Turkish government that happened in 1915. So they have a first-hand idea of how governments and war can tear apart a family and then coming over to America, and especially in the late 90s and early 2000s America as well, people forget what a tense climate that was. Um, and not just because not just because of 9/11 because this album was written and, and actually released in the pre 9/11 world um, to the day actually um, but when we look back at those late 90s we you know you look at Bill Clinton's um, presidency in America and then afterwards you got George Bush's America and it was a very fearful time in terms of terrorism and um, foreign um, foreign relations and prison and drugs those were all hot button topics and for a band who looked like system and sound like system and had names with the sound that system had to be able to write songs like this were not only incredibly brave but incredibly impactful yeah this this album is extraordinary absolutely extraordinary and the more you dig into it the more extraordinary it, it, it becomes and it hasn't aged a day Absolutely not. No, I completely it's, agree it's with that. It's 19, 19 years old. And, and me and you both have listened to this recently, obviously, for this. Um, it sounds superb. Oh, my hasn't, God, it does. Hasn't been remastered. Hasn't been shook up. Hasn't been changed. And now, now you say 20 years. Oh, it's not that long. But other albums, like, if I showed you another al- other albums from 2001, they do sound dated. Like, yeah. if you listen to, like, a Link Biscuit album from 2001, it sounds like it's from 2001. Yeah. Um, if you listen to like Papa Roach or Dope or any of the other bands or Disturbed, those sort of period of time, it does sound of that time. This is timeless. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, it's obvious why this is in the list. Um, we don't need to touch on the fact that this is just a fucking great album, but it's so brilliantly unique and politically charged and um, incredibly intense. Um, just 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 a terrific album what are your thoughts on this before we go into the ins and outs of this absolutely phenomenal beyond words record i think it would be interesting if we just talk about system of a down's legacy because 
they're a band for nearly 25 years now if they're knocking on the door. But they've mm. only actually done four full albums, if you don't count Steal This Album, because Steal This Album was mainly put together of Toxicity B-sides. Yeah. So, so if you count the self-titled debut, Toxicity, Hypnotize, Mesmerize, four System of a Down albums in 25 years. Now, if we put into context that Korn did six albums in 10, Linkin Park did four albums in 10, Avenged did five in 10, uh, Metallica did five in 10, Maiden did eight in 10. The, uh, what I've done there is reel off a list of classic heavy metal bands. And Korn are probably the smallest of the bands that I've mentioned there, but Korn are relatively in System of a Down sphere. So I thought it'd be interesting to just quickly chuck those in. Those are, for the most part, superstar-sized metal bands. And System of a Down have only done four albums in 25 years. I guess what that means is that, Sam, a System of a Down, like one of, if not the only superstar-sized metal band to have never released an album that was less than 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think so. I also think that they're, 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 they're the band with the biggest ratio of quality versus quantity. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, it's it, it, it's it's four it's four incredible albums. There's no filler, and it's... I much prefer that. By the way, I think that's that's obviously the way to go. When when you look at back, like historically at that, four albums in twenty five years is an eyebrow raiser, because mm-hmm. you, you do wonder what kind of uh, constructs or arguments have been going on there for that not to be more than than four albums in you know in 25 years that that is that does stand out slightly but on the other hand as we've just mentioned it makes the system of a down one of the biggest hitters in metal history these four albums released between 1998 and 2005 four albums in seven years and they are all absolutely brilliant like i you you got you run back through that discography and although toxicity for me is absolutely the standout, man, even like Mesmerize, Hypnotize was the, they released Mesmerize first, you know, then they did, then they did yeah, Hypnotize. That's right. yeah. yeah. I prefer Mesmerize to Hypnotize, but Hypnotize is, is still a really, really great album. And that album yeah. you could still look back at with still like massive historical significance. Mm-hmm. And this is from a band that did all this within a seven year period. If we just put yeah. that together and talk about that seven years, they're a better band for seven in seven year period. Uh, no, the, certainly not in new metal. Certainly not oh, in new metal. No, we're, you're talking from like uh, from a seven year run. It's Metallica eighty four yeah. to ninety one. Yeah, it's um, Slipknot ninety nine to two thousand and six. If you because then you can include the live album that came out two thousand and five. Um, Maybe, I mean, if you're a traditionalist, you say, all right, Maiden from 82 to 89 brought out, you know, Number the Beast and Peace of Mind and, and Seventh Son and Seventh Son through the dark, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's kind of it. You could, chuck Pan- you could chuck Pantera in there. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you go from um, Cowboys Cable- from Hell? Cowboys from Hell are down to um, Far Beyond Driven. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a great one, actually. Fair <laughs> no, bad, is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fair play. And then um, if you want to go modern, I chuck While She Sleeps and Architects in there in terms of seven-year runs. was pretty impressive. Um, but it's but, not on the same level. Absolutely. absolutely. And that, that's exactly the point I'm making. Like, 
how much do me and you love architects? Yeah, and uh, how, absolutely. How, how phenomenal they've been in the last 10 years. Nowhere near system of a down. No. It's, like, it's no. not, I wouldn't even attempt to bring up the debate. I wouldn't even consider the idea because it's not, it, it's not even worth discussing. And I adore architects and they're a great, tremendous band. Nowhere near what System of a Down yeah. did in between this, 98 and 2005. Yeah, this level of classic albums in the, um, the proliferation actually goes beyond metal to the point where you'd have to look at like ACDC in the 70s. Led Zeppelin yeah. did like five great albums in like seven years and stuff like that. And then you go further back with like the Beatles did like album every, an album every year. But that's the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if, if that's where we're going to have like this significant of a run, then that should then that should say it. I think that's a some it's incredible observation by yourself to put that together. When it comes down to like what this album was, th- there is something that I found this out a few years ago and it, and it astonished me. Before I think it was like two days before the album came out, th- they were gonna play in this like car park, and they expected three and a half thousand people to come. Ten thousand people turned up. And they yeah, were to- cancelled, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They were told by the police, you can't play, by the way. And you're not allowed to go and announce that you can't play either. You just can't go on the stage whatsoever. So people are there in fucking the red hot Californian heat for like two and a half hours waiting for System of a Down. They started rioting. Um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised if they weren't told. And obviously riot police vans and all that come. System of a Day were meant to do like an, I think they were meant to do an in-store gig as well the day after, but they had to cancel that in the in case there were there was another list of riots. That was the build-up that toxicity had become. And there was this, obviously in 2001, I was seven years old. So I don't remember this. This is me purely reading back and researching and looking through things. There was this building idea of this album is going to be this one massive, long, brilliant piece of social commentary, which, oh my God, like it it absolutely is. And my my first point that I want to make on the album is that this album tells a tale of what like Hollywood and California as, as a bigger picture is like. And I think it's absolutely mesmerising. And Rick Rubin uh, produced this record, who has pro- just produced like a ridiculous amount of records. Rick like, Rubin's from, career is extraordinary. It's absurd. Like from the eighties to 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 the present day, he's just produced this absolute like laundry list of mega albums. But of the albums that I've heard Rick Rubin produce, I don't think he's ever produced an album that encapsulates the story better than this. Like Slayer's Rain in Blood. Uh, and Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic do come close. But for me, this is my absolute favourite production job that he's ever done. The tale that he's told in this album, uh, uh, both musically and lyrically, is genius. It is amazing. Can't speak highly enough of it. I completely agree. I completely agree. From, from, from a song-to-song standpoint from a lyrical standpoint, from a, an intensity standpoint, this is one of the most incredible releases um, and perfectly, perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. This comes out a week before 9-11 and just um, propels the band forward um, into, a, into, into a world that, that was now starting to mistrust its own government and its own systems and things like that. And, and, and since we don't come along at the perfect time. Um, in terms of pulling punches um prison song needles deer dance is there a better three track opening 
um, in, in, in sort of new metal history. I don't no. think that there is at all. No. Um, it just it just turns of an opening three tracks, and then um, one of my favourite things is in typical system style, like we were talking about with the the, the proliferation of, of of like four albums in seven years, three singles only from this album. Amazing! So so three, awesome. three singles: Chop Suey, Toxicity, Aerials. I mean, it's just perfect. Isn't no filler, no messing about. And I think what the thing is here about System of a Down is that they combine intensity. So Prison Song is heavy. Uh, yeah. Deer Dance is heavy. Needles is heavy. Um, but Ch- Chop Suey is massive and epic and, and has a ma- huge chorus that can be sung along. Like, Chop Suey is a song that you can put your arm around a friend and really scream the lyrics like, yeah. like a massive pop song. And we have, <laughs> yeah, as it happens. Quite regularly, actually. Quite regularly. Toxicity is a return to the metal, but the, the instrumentation on Toxicity. We'll um, this, is one of, this is one of my all-time favourite drum tracks as well. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, and, and, and albums as well. But also an Aerials. Aerials is such a beautiful song. Such a beautiful song. And the, have you heard the, the special edition of Aerials where it goes into that Armenian hymn at the end? Yes, beautiful. And it goes down for... It's just haunting, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. it, it really, really is. And and that that's the thing is the system of a down combine the intensity and brutality of of early two thousands new metal with the beauty and soul of like Eastern European music and the intelligence and subtlety of their lyrics. Oh, and also it's really fucking funny at times as well. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like not, not only is this album as unique as it gets, it's also like satirical. And parodical, like it's 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 like listening to like a combination of a stand-up comedian and a metal band and an Eastern European um, concert, like all melded together. Like we were talking about um, how rare it is. This isn't just rare. This is like a meteor flying past the Earth, like one in a million sort of chances that this all comes together. Because um, you imagine plugging this to the record label. So what's the new album sound like, lads? Well, it's... <laughs> Have you got two errors? It's a mix of stuff. You know, it's a healthy balance of, um, oh, of like metal and new metal and maybe some rock. Well, more like um, political commentary, uh, Armenian group, folk music and metal. <laughs> how's, how's that? It's like not quite on the, on the same wavelength. Um, but it's just extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, there's the songwriting jobs done here. Um, what I love about System of a Down as well is the complexity of the lyrics and the, the complexity of the transitions um, is also juxtaposed by the simplicity of the riffs. Darren Malakian would never play in like Trivium. No. Uh, he's not that sort of guitarist. Um, but his guitar tone and his, his simplicity of, of riff combining with uh, Serge Tankian's voice is a match made in heaven um the, there's there's no like tap in here and no like incredible ripping guitar solos it's the it's a metal album that features almost none of every heavy metal cliche but he's so fucking heavy and catchy and compelling and like i said to you earlier the the bass and drums combination here as an engine room um is just i mean i just phenomenal yeah, absolutely phenomenal. I just think 
the start of this album is fucking amazing. Like prison song, the stop start guitar, the dun, and then it pauses literally yeah. like three seconds, and you're waiting, dun, 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 and then you're waiting again, and then and then and then it starts going again. It stops, and then Serge whispers, "They're trying to build a prison." And then the opening lyrics, following the rights movement, you clamp down with your iron fist. Drug, drugs became conveniently available for all the kids. So clever. And that yeah, just, I mean, what a perfect way to set up the record. It's, it's Honestly, the rhythm guitar on that song from Darren is so fucking punching. And then in between all this madness, as, as they get to the part where um, they're rapping, um, buying the crack in Hollywood, and smacking yeah. the bit, so buying the crack and smacking the bitch in Hollywood. Um, the bassist, um, Shave Out, he's laying down like a funk. <laughs> he's laying yeah. like a funk, he's like a funk line in between it. Like, so it's this really amazing meld of uh, social commentary, uh, pure classic metal, and then fucking funk underlying all of it. And it's just this laundry list of creative ideas that fit together unbelievably. And if you look at the, the, the credits for the record, a lot of the album was pieced together by Serge and Darren. And there's so, so many countless incredible subtleties to this album. Like, y y a lot of them, you have to really listen to catch them. Like, the guitar line at the start of Bounce, it just sounds like a, like a nice little riff at the start, when you first hear it. But then if you listen to it and you really pay attention to the way it then it explodes into that like flurry of bop and rhythm. Yeah. While um, Serge is um, saying to him, bounce, pogo, pogo, pogo. It's, it's this little nuance that fits together absolutely amazingly. And also, I love how for the first half of the record, Serge will just come in randomly out of nowhere with a... <laughs> it's random. Yeah. But it, it'll be in the middle of a song. You might even know it's coming. And he'll just turn it with a dirty growl out of nowhere. So, it's just so amazing. And you mentioned Chop Suey, and obviously that's the phenomenal transcendent song, but that doesn't tell half of what this album is capable of. Like, that, no. that's the song that's in all the memes and that the people who probably don't really know much about metal still know every word to that song because of how big it was. But that doesn't even tell half of the tale of Toxicity's brilliance. And... I mean, I'm I'm stuck between Forest and the title track for the my favourite song on the album. Fuck me! Oh, I love Forest. The little drums at the start, my John Dalmayan. John oh. Dalmayan. Um, so look, this was you know I love coming to you about like drum performances because you know you can tell me. I mean, as someone who's never picked up a fucking a pair of sticks in their life, I I still know that this is just phenomenal from Dalmayan. But obviously, as someone you all know the technicality and the intelligence to piece all this together, these kind of drum pattern backdrops that somehow fit in between these riffs absolutely like a jigsaw puzzle piece, perfectly. Uh, absolutely, uh, I completely agree. John Dalmayan's drum performance here is, is magnificent. I wanna, I wanna use Toxicity, the title track, as an example of that. Um, because if you take out the drums of Toxicity when they, when, when they play the introductory, the, the riff is like dun, diddle da dun, right? When you add the drums back in, it's extraordinary. You think that he came up with that to accompany it. He matches that riff stick for stick, hit for hit, but not in a traditional way. Usually, drummers will match the, the, the rhythm guitar by sort of hitting cymbals, like sort of master of puppet style, you know, dun dun dun. 
um, with this, John Darmayan's extraordinary fills here. Um, just a, what I think is fantastic about John Darmayan's drum style here is he combines traditional sort of new metal drum style beats with this sort of tribal Tom led, um, really sort of aggressive sort of um, barbaric style of playing that reminds me a little bit of Sepultura, but sort of faster um, in terms of the way that he uses all the drums around the kit. And Toxicity is actually in two timings. Um, so the chorus is in 4-4, four, four, but the actual verse is in 6-8. So he flits between two timings here. Um, and then completely shifts in tempo again near the end. Um, John Darmayan's brilliant here because he just plays in an unorthodox style. When you hear the riff, you expect the drums to be played in a certain way, and John Darmayan absolutely plays it in another way entirely. Um, it just makes it just adds to the uniqueness of the band and how his his work around the kit and his drum work and his fill work. It's not a traditional metal playing, but it works perfectly with systems non-traditional riffs and non-traditional lyrics and non-traditional song structure. It all just melts together perfectly. I completely agree that it fits like a jigsaw puzzle in the way that it, it's perfect for the music. But at the same time, it's also not what you'd stereotypically expect him to put to the music as well which I think is extraordinary in its own right. I, I agree with you. This is a masterclass in terms of rhythm guitar and drumming. It's just a pounding, uh, manic, paranoid, schizophrenic riff and percussion, percussive album mixed in with an almost angelic singer who can rotate. I mean, is there a more versatile singer outside of Corey Taylor and Serge Tankian? Who, a guy who can sing, scream, guttural growl, rap, do spoken word and has one of the most iconic and instantly recognizable voices in, in metal history for them all to come together with the political commentary, with the sense of humor. This is a masterclass of an album that will quite simply never be repeated again. And the only reason it's not any higher is just simply because metal has had a lot of really great albums. And that's yeah, all yeah. it is. Oh, I understand. I, I understand. I can't. I can't even. I can't even justify and say, well, actually, because there's no fault to this. <laughs> there's yeah. no. There's no thing. But I'm pointing out. I'll say, well, actually, if I did the bass better here, then it would be 14. That's not how this is going to go. Um, this is one of the greatest metal albums of, of all time. It's just. It's just in a genre where there are also other great metal albums, and some of those have been around a little bit longer and have, and have influenced a little bit more people. And, and that's and that's just the dividers you have to get to. But in terms of a combination of musicianship and lyricism and anything else, um, System of a Down are a band that everybody absolutely has to listen to. Yeah. Uh, re regardless of what type of music you're into, just so you've heard them. And Toxicity would be the first place I would start. If someone asked me what, what System of a Down sound like, I would put this album on. I'd probably start with Chop Suey to be like, oh, do you remember that? I'd be like, yeah, let's listen to the whole album of that then. And that, that's where you would go. Uh, these are one of these is incredible, um, and on with on with you. Uh, you point them out at the start. If System never release an album again, ever in their lives, and retire, they're in the Metal Hall of Fame, and they've been in the Metal Hall of Fame fifteen years in my mind, um, on the strength of of these four albums alone. If they just brought out this and disappeared, yeah, um, that would that would have been enough because uh, this is this is extraordinary. 
I've mentioned subtleties a few times, but my favourite one in the whole album is right at the start of Forest. Uh, Serge comes in, walk with me, my little child. And he, he puts his yeah, accent yeah. right on the end. It's only something completely tiny, but it's so unusual and fascinating to listen to. Like, it, it's such a, what would just go over the top of your head. It seems like quite meaningless. But it adds a level of authenticity to this album. The, an, an album that's got authenticity in fucking droves, but it just adds another little notch. And if I had to sum up toxicity in a word, I would, I would use, use authentic. Because a lot of the albums that we'll talk about here have influenced bands and they are albums that you can look at as A and then eventually get to Z on bands that have been influenced by the album. But it's hard to say that with Toxicity because no, as we mentioned at the start, no bands ever tried to repeat this or it's very, very rare, if at all, that you'll hear an album and be like, oh, I can like, pick a bit of Toxicity influence there. It just doesn't happen because the album is just so massively unique. And then to finish this all off, you've got a legitimate massive anthem like Ariel's, as you mentioned. <laughs> like, this album literally has everything. It is absurd, the level of creative influence on this album. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. On top of all the brutality, the intelligence, the heavy nature, the characterization of Hollywood, at the very end, you've got a massive soaring anthem. Fuck me, this album... I, I, this is in my like top 10 albums of all time for me personally. So I, I adore this album so much. Um, I haven't gone back to it for a while. It has been an absolute pleasure this week listening to this album. And you cannot listen to this album and not head back. <laughs> like you've, or or you've sing gotta, along. Or yeah, it's just, or... oh, God. I could talk about this album for another two hours, but I, I won't put our listeners through that. This is just... I can't imagine anyone listening to this hasn't listened to Toxicity before. But if you haven't listened to it in full, I just I beg you. Um, and like I say, with that, with this top twenty album list of all greatest metal of all time list that we're doing here, like we're not going to cover new ground. <laughs> like we're not going to tell you something no. about these albums that you've never heard before. But it's still really interesting for us to just break down these records and just expand on just how brilliant, phenomenal, and life changing that they are. I, I adore this album. Um, would have been higher for me. I understand why it hasn't been for you. If, and as you mentioned, if System of a Down never do another record, they go down as one of the greatest of all time for me. I completely agree. I completely agree. Fast forward in 19 years, Sam. Uh, album reviews. Uh, Wonderful. So, uh, Havoc's new record, Five, uh, out now on Century Media Records. It's the band's fifth album. It came out on Friday, but... And usually we do like to review records that haven't come out yet so you can have an idea of what it's going to sound like before you listen to it. But there was a, an air of fascination with me with this record and I wanted to, to bounce it off you, mainly for the sole reason, Sam. Was the last new thrash record that you listened to, Paratrips Nightmare Logic? Yes. And that was in 2017? Right. Yes. So, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I already know why this is. <laughs> but... Why, why was that? Why is there a specific reason why you're not going out there and searching for new thrash bands as the way me and you search for new alternative metal bands or metalcore or deathcore or death metal, etc.? Uh, yeah, because the best 15 thrash albums have been written. Yeah, I, thought, I figured that's what you were going to say. Uh, and, and whereas metalcore, deathcore have room to grow, um, 
all I hear from New Thrash is a reimagination of Ride the Lightning, Raining Bloods, Peace Cells, now, that sort of stuff. I personally, unless it's one of the absolute classic albums, I find Thrash one of the most difficult genres to listen to over a long period of over a long period of time, um, because a lot of Thrash, fuck me, it doesn't all sound the same as you as basically you've just alluded to. Anything with thrash that's like post two thousand, it is it, it is a lot of it is rehashes of what has already been. Yeah. In short blasts, though, thrash is one of the most exciting genres to listen to for me personally. Like, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Like I reckon at least once every two months, I'll jump back into Raining Blood, and obviously I've picked the greatest thrash metal album written of all time there. But and, and obviously that's the best one to listen to because it's fucking it's raining blood. But what I mean by that is when I give myself a break from thrash and then I jump back into a record for like half an hour, I feel all reinvigorated and like fucking thrash is so sick, it's fast and the BPM's high and you know it's fucking balls to the wall and beers in the air. And you know, in the 21st century, pretty much you're looking at havoc, municipal waste. Although they're as much punk as they are thrash, uh, revocation, uh, peritrip, and silosis as like the main like flag wavers of, of thrash so far in the last like ten years. But when we get here, and this is Havoc's fifth record, and I was curious if I could throw a thrash record at you that I already knew was. I, I think this is a really good record. Because uh, I've, I've heard it a few times before this week, so I reviewed it for Noise. And, all, and also, uh, my interview with the vocalist, David Sanchez, is going to be on uh, the next Noise podcast as a Chris Meets. So, I knew this album was like, really good and I really liked it. So I wanted to throw this at you and see whether I could expose you to like this thrash album that, and yes, it does replicate what we've heard before. Maybe it would like relight an interest as such in you. Uh, anything along those lines happening for you? I'm so sorry, Chris, but no, no, right, okay. Uh, it's it's a it's a decent album, but um, it, it's 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 not it's it's it hasn't stoked the flame of any relove of new thrash or anything like that. It it starts off with the blackened intro. It's identical to blackened. Um, the 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 zoom in the the high pitched uh, reverted um guitar harmonies the third track starts off with a fade in <laughs> that sounds like eye of beholder as well and it's like okay well we did the we did the justice for all uh, <laughs> historical one a couple of weeks ago maybe these guys were listening um but this is all right this is okay it's energetic it's fun it's 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 the it's the musical equivalent of watching like um, I watched the last Terminator with you and it's a laugh for two hours but I'm not going to put it on again and it's 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 energetic and it's all right but it, at the same time as well it's a bit cringy um, some of the lyrics here are diabolical um, to be frank um, but and, and some of the, some of the riffs are all right some of the riffs are enjoyable and it, like you said it's fast paced it's fun but um, in, ter- in terms of anything beyond that, it, do- it doesn't do it doesn't do anything for me. Um, just to just to, just to point out, there's a line in this where the the the, the lead singer you're interviewing um, is says uh, a paranormal phantom force. Now, paranormal means ghost, and phantom means ghost, 
Um, so it's kind of saying that you were attacked by a big and large man. Um, but, but so it's, it's a vocabulary, it's, it's a bit weird, but um, overall, I thought this was okay. Um, but like I said, it's like it's like watching a Rocky film, like it, it's just it hits hard, it's fast, it's a bit cheesy. Um, some of the lines are a bit cliched and corny, and I nod my head over it. But at, at some point in six months, I think you know, I'm gonna listen to a great thrash album, this is not gonna enter my head, I'm afraid. And there's nothing wrong with it, like I said. Um, but there's also nothing I haven't already heard several times over and much, much better uh, at this point. The, like I said, um, again, I, I appreciate that Thrash is, is still knocking around and this, there is an audience and, 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 and like you said, there is, there is, a, there is a flag bearer for this and, and, and it's peak Thrash. Is really, this is really, really fun. Um, but this is, this is just another 7 out of 10 Thrash album. Uh, for thrash fans um it's just it's got all of the thrash cliches just sort of mixed and jumbled up together it's like playing like sort of metal cliche bingo every so often um including some of the lyrical themes about how the system's trying to get us all to take drugs and how the government's trying to kill us uh and that sort of stuff mixed in with your standard sort of like fast paced um so fast paced riffs with you with your, with your your standard drum beats as well. This isn't this isn't getting me out of my chair, I'm afraid. This is a decent album, but by no means is it a special thrash record for me. It's very difficult to reinvent thrash though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, but of I'm all the... people keep trying to. <laughs> of all the metal subgenres, I think thrash should probably be the most difficult to attempt to reinvent. Because it, it it's so set in its way of high rate BPM, uh fast fast paced drums, fast paced vocals. It doesn't give you anywhere else to go. It doesn't. Like because of the pace, if you have, thrash has to be fast. There's no slow thrash, otherwise it becomes something else. You can't thrash slowly. You're just sort of waving your arms. Um, <laughs> it just is impossible. Um, so you've got to play riffs that you've got to be able to play fast, which means te they tend to be a little bit simpler. Um, it, just, it just is, which means that bands tend to revert to this power chord style, which just means you end up saying like Megadeth. And I love Megadeth. But I just prefer Dave Mustaine doing it. That's all. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this. Absolutely nothing wrong with this. Um, but it, I don't think it's groundbreaking either. Not that I'm expecting it to be. I'm just saying that that's my criticism for it, is that it's not special. Like, uh, for context, I think this is a really good thrash album. Like, I, I'm not saying that I think this is like taking thrash to new areas. It's not at all. I just think it's a really good thrash album. For for what I would want out of thirty five ish minutes of thrash, this is it. Like the start, the the low opening, the Phantom Force. You know, it reminds me of you know the uh, pace change in Post Mortem Slayer. Yeah, and the production styles are very similar to like Anthrax's I Am the Law, and I like I like I know you I know you said lyrically Phantom Force uh, leaves a little too much room for you. But I, I, I think I, I like the track. And me and you raved about the new Silas record, Cycle of Suffering. But, you know, I, I'd say that's more of a flat out heavy metal record than, yeah. than thrash. It's a heavy metal record. It's got elements of thrash. And, and, I think... and maybe, maybe that's where the world needs to go, though. Maybe that's what needs to happen. If you can't reinvent the wheel, because it's impossible to reinvent the wheel, then incorporate the wheel into something else where it's a blend of stuff and that's progressive. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... That's a decent enough shout. And th because of how 
this record five sticks to thrash for the most part. I do find things like the acoustic opening of the, what's the name of the song? Uh, Pampsychism. I did find that refreshing. And the last track, Don't Do It, was like a show stealer for me. Like this hard hitting song about suicide, got this really like ominous dark opening. Sanchez sounds really good vocally. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a little bit like Slayer Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, I think I might even prefer this track though. And the, the pace change at the end, it's wicked when uh, David Sanchez uh, shouts goodbye to you and the rhythm starts. Really, really great. And I like to think of that as like maybe some kind of platform that Havoc could start fucking around with going forward. On the last, tr- on the last record, Conform Aside, there was this um, there was a track called Ink Sock, uh, which I think I tried to show. I, mean, I think I've, I, I sent to you actually. A, a week you did, or two yeah. Ago, yeah. Um, and you can see there that they're starting to move around and play with things a little bit. And that, what it seems to me as that's added up to, eventually this closing track down do it, which I think is a, the show stealer of the record. But gun to my head, this is a really good thrash album, but that is all it is. And I kind of knew that I'd be the deal going in because when you, when something's a thrash record, that's what you fully expect. Now thrash, as we've mentioned, isn't going to go anywhere else unless someone comes and completely reinvents the game, which which I just can't see coming. I mean, Peritrip had Peritrip had all this blend between thrash and groove metal, aren't they? So, it, yeah. so it's a little bit more open-ended for Peritrip. But for bands like Havoc, which are seemingly sticking to the pattern, it's an almighty task to do something that, that sounds really refreshing. And this album is a really good thrash album, but it doesn't go anywhere else. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, then that will always be my criticism of these sort of bands. Now I accepted that it's a it's a good decent thrash album for whatever thrash should look like in twenty twenty. Um, but for it to progress, it need, for it to progress and to to take into a different mantle and be successful and move forward and be considered a really great album. Period. It needs to let go of the chains that it that it's been that it's been held back by because every every great genre has to move forward every decade. There's has to be a like bands that were influenced by bands that happened previously took other influences and then developed it further. You know, Machine Head were influenced by Pantera but they took it they made it a little bit heavier. You know, um Trivium were influenced by Metallica but then they took it a little bit further. They're not like for like. You need to incorporate some other stuff. And that's why Silos is a fantastic. That's why Power Trip are fantastic. It's because they incorporate thrash and they realise that you can't have 35 minutes of thrash metal and expect people not to be like, well, can you do something else? Because 35 minutes of thrash is a lot is, is a lot of thrash. It's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot to put a listener through who isn't necessarily a massive thrash fan. Because there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot to it that's automatically sort of grabbing. Now, if you're a massive thrash metal fan, this is this is gonna be catered to you. I like thrash metal. I think there's like three or four thrash metal albums that are in my top 15 of all time because thrash metal ceiling is, is absolutely beautiful, incredible. But this is not this is not that. And even more so than that, it feels like an attempt just to repackage that. And that has already been done to the best of its ability. Try and incorporate the elements of thrash with something else. Take this genre in a different direction. In, in, incorporate it into different directions because that's where the success lies 
for thrash metal groups, thrash metal artists moving forward. We're going to move on to the closing segment of the show before Sam's interview with Malevolence vocalist Alex Tyler comes in, which I haven't listened to yet. I'm only going to listen to it in uh, post-production for the podcast. I'm really looking forward to checking that out, Matt. Um, but to close out oh, the show, you. to close out the show before Sam's interview comes in, Asking Alexandria's new album, Like a House on Fire, it's out on May 15th uh, on Sumerian Records. It's the band's sixth album. Before we get into the bones of the record if you remember back sam about 10 years ago the early 2010s it looked like asking alexandria were on the bring with the horizon trajectory do you remember that i do um in 2008 you could have put them on the same in the same category absolutely they were headlining warp tours in the us uh, comfortably playing academy shows in the uk they were undeniably like one of the biggest bands of that of that metalcore scene. Now, obviously, Bring Me The Horizon would take the sound into completely different areas. But in the early 2010s, Asking Alexandria thought they were, they were going to be a massive, massive deal. And they were huge in the US, absolutely massive. And yeah. Danny Warsnop, who he's always been the best member of the band, hasn't he? That's no criticism to other members. I just think Danny's got this phenomenal, great voice. I think, I think so, especially now that gap has widened. When he left, musically, it ended up being a bit of a bitter blow. Do you remember The Black that came out in 2016? I do. Do you remember Do you remember Martin Turner claiming it was like the worst album he'd ever heard in his life? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> in our, in our first reviews. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think I think he went a little bit far on that one. The album wasn't good, though. It wasn't, was, no. It wasn't. And, and some of the song titles on that record <laughs> were, were pretty bad. Um and then Denny Stoff, who, uh, and I felt a bit sorry for Denny Stoff. Denny Stoff was a good was a good vocalist, but then he left, and then Wars not rejoins. They did his self titled album, which came out in twenty seventeen, I think, which was all right. It wasn't too bad. And then here we are, album six, and like the band's momentum has taken several knocks in the last few years to the point now. Do you remember when we saw Asking Alexandria support Parkway in Rock City? I do, yeah. And imagine that in 2012. I know. Asking Alexandria but... supporting Parkway at Rock City. You just you just wouldn't have believed me, would you? No, no, and 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 it was it wasn't a shock at like in no, the moment. No, no. It was like, oh yeah, cool, Asking Alexandria. That was seemed to be where they were. It wasn't the like right, the right place for them. It wasn't like when Killswitch supported Bullet in the Outer Academy. No. That, wa- that one was a bit a left field for me. But asking Alexandria supporting Parkway Drive, it made sense at that time. And Parkway Drive obviously gone on to become this massive metal, massive metal band that now sell out arenas. But at that, that, that time, they were, uh, Parkway were just getting there. And asking Alexandria, it, it made sense. I remember, I turned to you. During Ask Alexandria's set, which was perfectly, which was perfectly fine, and I was like, do you reckon? <laughs> and sighed loudly. I, was, I, I said, yeah, I was like, do you reckon Danny cares? <laughs> and you said, he was like, you said, if he's making the most money, he might. And because, and I think you said that because in the press, Danny has, Danny had said before he rejoined the band. That he wasn't interested in it anymore. And then he joined. Then he uh, he was in like that band We Are Harlot, 
Uh, he did his country uh, side project as well. He did go on to do a blues side project, which me and you both really liked, if you remember. But yeah, he, was, he was back in Asking Alexandria by that point. So it's not like he did that before he rejoined. Anyway, my point to all this is that, Sam, does this feel like this is Danny Warsnop's rock band to you, this album? Yeah, it does. It does definitely feel like that. It feels like they begged him to come back and he said, I'm only coming back if we drop the metal thing and do what I want to do. And they were like, yeah, okay, whatever you want, Danny. And here we are. It is a shame, that is, isn't it? Because Ben Bruce, who's the guitarist, he can write some like really good riffs. Like if you look back through Asking Alexander discography, you've got like uh, Someone Somewhere, Not the American Average, uh, Poison, and like White Line Fever. They're like examples of really of songs where Ben Bruce has wrote really, really great riffs, and he's like a really good guitarist. But it, it, it seems like everything's been stripped back a little bit to accentuate Danny, which 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 really works at points. But at other points, it's like, man, where the fuck's Ben? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think I think the context to this album is asking Ale- which you set up quite nicely, which essentially translates to asking Alexandria watch all their contemporaries at the time that they were big become bigger than them, right? That's the context, isn't it? Asking Alexandria is like the bridesmaid at the wedding, watching Bring Me get bigger, watching Parkway get bigger, watching Bullet get bigger. And at some point they were like, all right, we need to start getting on that bandwagon. Um, do you mind if I comment on the album now? Oh, mate, go. This is diabolical. This is dog shit. This is awful. Um, this, is, um, this is horrendous. This is, um, this is like someone took a vacuum cleaner and sucked all of the personality out of a band and replaced it with this like sort of husk. This is kind of like if you hired the four musicians that Vince McMahon hires to make wrestler theme music and said, I want you to imitate a mainstream rock band. Go. And then they just sort of put together 15 tracks and here this is what it is. It sounds like Asking As Andrew have looked at Parkway and thought, all right, they've gone for this bigger sound. They've looked at Bring Me, they've gone for this bigger sound. And then they've looked at like Nickelback and just sort of like blended it all together. And they've come out with this most generic, bland, personality-less, cliched collection of songs that will last as long in the memory as the end of this sentence. This is just a dreadful collection of music that, Danny Warsnop has, has accustomed <laughs> and twisted so he can sing about and make himself the central figure. And when I, when I was reading through the description that came along with this album, I found it astonishing that, that the band themselves had placed the phrase stadium ambition in their own PR as an explanation for what they think this album's going to do for them and what this album sounds like. This is like if 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 someone took a, ro- a really high IQ robot, right, and then downloaded onto the robot every great rock song of the last 40 years and then told the robot to write a rock album. And this is what the robot would have written, because this is like it ticks all of the cliche boxes and imitation ideas like it's got a big chorus and it's got like like simplistic riffs that are easy to nod your head to. But it's got no personality, no soul, no real sticking point in melody, no depth, no authenticity. And the fact that there are 15 versions of this is astonishing. This this is like music that should be written for like 
to be to play Madden too, and it's like stereotypical American rock music to play in the background of like sports compilations and stuff. But there's actually no depth or musicality here. Ben Bruce should listen back to this album, and he said like he said in the interview that the PR gave us. Um, this is that. This is the road less taken. I wonder why. Um, this is the. This is the saying. Fuck you. We're gonna do what we want. Did you all sit together and decide to do a Nickelback impersonation? Like, is that the road less taken? Because there's several reasons for that. Is this the method you really wanted to go down? Because this is dreadful, and they've sucked all of the musician talent out of what was a good metal band, and poured it into the ego and charisma of Danny Wallstop, hoping that that will carry them to like festival headlining. And it just will not because this is phony. This is, this is fake. This is a, an imitation of great rock music. These are, this is a band that can't write great rock music trying to, and they should instead stick to what they've been very good at for a while, which is combining Danny Wallstop's incredible voice with good metal riffs and combining them together. And they found a niche that made them very successful. Even the description, it said they've had two gold, uh, gold singles, not the American average and final episode. No shit. Try to do that again. You're good at that. This is just appalling. The, 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 the songs on this. Now, House on Fire is all right. Um, oh, I, love, I love the chorus on that song. That chorus it's, it's big, is fucking it's a, and brilliant. It's, it's, a bit, it's a big tune and, it, and it, go, it goes further. But from there, it's just a collection of just cliched rubbish, just drivel, um, like all due respect and it's not me, it's you. And it's just not, it's just not very good. And it just sounds like a band that are loosely hitting for popularity. And instead of those things, have come out with this like personalityless, bland shit. I'm I'm sorry, this is just horrendous. I really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> um, I like it fairly more than you, but I don't think that'd be difficult. I don't think this <laughs> this, this isn't a good this isn't a good record. This is an okay. This isn't even a mediocre record. This, I think it's all right. I think it's okay. Oh. <laughs> Christian, don't lie to me. This is an okay record that's bland and it hasn't got a massive amount of personality to it, like you said. But there are some moments where da- where, where Danny can like really steal the show. And the opening track, House on Fire, I really like that song. And it's got a really, really massive chorus. I'm saying this album is all right, and it still loads better than what I thought it was going to be. Like, I, I, I'd give this album, like, a five or m- maybe a six. That's loads better than what I thought it was going to be. I don't know whether you remember, and I don't know why they chose this as the lead single. The Violence is the worst song on this album. Yeah. And they, it chose, it, they chose it as the lead single. It is the most monotonous a fucking directionless song. I, I just do not know why they chose that as the lead single. And when I first, we, me and you actually talked about it on one of our previous podcasts, that song. And we were like, fucking hell, this album might be a long listen. And this is a long listen. This is 15, so this is too long. This this really should have been 10 songs. Would you, yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> this is like 12 songs too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just an assault to my senses. Like, 
watching the video as well. I watched it. I watched one of the music videos, and they're all wearing leather jackets. Apart from Danny, who's got a leather jacket and like one of those like hunters hats on with a feather sticking out of it, just in case you couldn't work out that they're all the same. Apart from him, who's special and different. And it, it's it was just, and they're on top of a building, and, and they're all wearing black, and it's like cool. Like I get it. Like it's just every fucking lazy lonely cliche and they've swapped all of their individuality to be like the danny war snop band or like danny and the war snops and they used to be powerful and angry and energetic and then when danny left they tried to do it on their own and obviously it wasn't as successful i understand that but at least they had their individuality and what they've done is they've sold all elements of that to produce this direction of stuff that some of these songs you could hear quietly in the background of Sky Sports News. Like, it's just generic guitar, powerful music that, like, you would play in the background of something else. Or, like, a motorbike advert in, like, America. Like, the, the, just, like, some marketing executive who's never heard ACDC just thinks that's what a rock band sounds like. It, I'm, I'm so disappointed in this, and I went in with low expectations. I think this album's biggest problem is that it puts all its weight into Danny, who is a tremendous vocalist who's got a wonderful voice. And it puts absolutely no weight on anyone else. This album needed some riffs from Ben Bruce, man. This yeah. album needed some intricacy from him, who is a good backup vocalist and he's a good, good, he's a very good guitarist and he can write and he has written some really good riffs that fit perfectly into the early 2010 scene that they were in. This, this isn't, this isn't, I don't think that you think this is like a car crash. I don't think this is like a car crash. I think this, you, I, I don't think you heard their self-titled album that came out a, a couple of years ago. This is a natural successor from man. That's what it sounds like. It's okay. just, it, not thematically because we are harlot we're a glam rock band but this just feels like another version of we are harlot just without mm. the glam yeah because it's danny it's danny warsnop and and musicians it's danny it just sounds like danny warsnop's rock project and that that doesn't work i reached out to jack holloway the owner of the podcast to so i was like dude listen to this album and tell me tell me what you think because it, it's it's geared more for you than it is for me or Sam by a mile. So if you listen and you tell me what you think as someone who the album is geared for and you don't like it, then it will add some objectivity to, to mine and Sam's view. Because I, I, I knew the second I started listening to this, I was like, man, Sam is going to hate this. By the time I got to like the third track, I thought Sam's going to despise this. Regardless of... I started, I started disliking you for asking this question. <laughs> Regardless of um, track six is on, like Chris is such a prick, man. Fuck. <laughs> Regardless of the fact that, like, Danny's, I actually, th I think we can agree that Danny's voice is great on this album. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, no arguments there. Even, but even with that, I thought, man, Sam, Sam isn't going to enjoy the source. So I asked Jack to listen to it for some objectivity, so we get someone who this album is more catered for. And even he was like. There's a few good songs on there, but nah, not for me. And that's where I am. There are some good tracks on here, but the what, what the rest of the album, what props that up 
has got really weak legs, man. Like if 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 you put a gun to him, it's like tell me the good tracks I'd go. Um, House on Fire, I think Down to Hell and All Due Respect are good. Danny's got this really kind of sweeping vocal style that goes across both tracks, which works. But then outside of that, we really start picking at bounds there. Like you got like one turn and hit and here's starting over. They're just they're so lifeless and they just sound like they were created in such short succession. And I, this album isn't going to take Ask and Alexandria back into the position that they were seven years seven years ago. But for me personally, I do feel like this could have been much worse. Obviously, you yeah. don't. I completely agree. It might take them to the position they were in fifteen years ago when they had a job before they were in a band. Um, but I also I also liked um, uh, Jack's Jack's line when he talks about Ben Bruce and Lee Malley and must be in the same guitar AA classes because they're just just so depressed sitting in the back listening to this album. Can you imagine this is the thing as well. All right, when the album's done, the interviews over, right, and they all go their separate ways after touring and they count the money and whatever. Do you think Ben Bruce is going to put this album on and think what the fuck, man? Because it's this back and think, where am I? Or like his missus is like, what's the new album saying? Like Ben Bruce, like, don't matter. Well, I interviewed, I interviewed Ben Bruce two years ago. And this is when, like, like I mentioned, the self-titled record, this is a natural successor to me. And he, like, obviously, he's, he's being interviewed. So he's not going to say, oh, by the way, mate, oh, I think the new direction we've gone in shit. But he's not going to say that, of course. But he was so passionate and it sounded genuinely excited about where they were going. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he genuinely believes in his record because he genuinely believed in the self-titled one. And the self-titled one isn't too dissimilar to this. They're, they're, they're on the same path. Yeah, I, I get that. But I, I think, and I accept that he might have been confident to you, a media member. I'm saying that in his private moments... Does he sit there and think, man, I wish I had a riff or two on this? Um, be- because there's, point- there's points where everybody else is actually, like, turned down. Like, it's almost, like, muffled, and then Danny Wall stops over the top. Yeah. Like, if I were a musician, right, um, of this size, and I'm in a band that could sell Academy tracks and write metal, but I had to sacrifice all that to get Danny back, I, I'd re- I think I'd really struggle to be on board now that I've heard it because if they were huge as a result of this, like if this was like Bring Me The Rise with Ollie Sykes, right? Ollie Sykes went away and then he comes back and it's like, holy shit, like Ollie Sykes is back and he's going to write songs again and this is going to make... Or like... Or like if Sam Carter left Architects or something like that and it's like, oh, this is like a long leave in the band. And then it comes back, I get it. But hearing what this band is with Danny in, if you're Ben Bruce, you, is it worth it? Because this isn't also going to propel you to the success. It's okay sacrificing your individual um, songwriting and sacrificing your individual role in the band if you are also like playing headline sets or like playing like massive arenas and stuff like that. Like, Ask Alexandria are not going to headline Rock City next year on the strength of this album. They're not going to be main, they're not going to be like third or fourth main stage download playing for 50,000 people on the strength of this album. So if they're not doing that and this isn't moving them forward, what the fuck's the point? Because you're 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 playing as a as as the backing musicians to Danny, a man who, let's be honest, doesn't want to be there unless the circumstances are completely centralized around him. 
And also, people are saying, what happened? Why doesn't it sound like the old ass in Alexandria? And you know all that going in, and you still, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, the trade-off is not worth it. Absolutely not worth it for me. And I understand that, that when you interviewed, he must have been really passionate and, and that sort of thing, and he's really into the music, and I get it. As a direction, you can sell me on, if this all works, this will be a big band, but it hasn't, and it doesn't, and it's probably not going to. The boat has been missed. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think if all the other members of this band, and I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, I really like asking Alexandria at points in their career, but if I was another member of this band, this would fucking, this would grind me, this would eat at me. Listen to this album that's A, barely got me involved, and B, sucked. Like, if, it, if it's at least going to be good, like if I was like playing the bongos in the back of Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, I'd still be playing it everyone in my house. Like, hey, man, the chain's class, yeah. That's me. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> like, like if I was in the background of fucking Led Zeppelin 4, like playing the Maracas or something on one of the acoustic tunes, I'd be like, man, listen to that shit. That's historical. I'm in that. Like, you're barely involved in one of, in this, in this. At least get a solo in if it's going like, to sound like this. Shit me. Oh. I don't think I've got any, I could possibly add any further to that, Sam. <laughs> and, and I say this and I mean every respect to everybody that's an Asking Alexandria fan shout to them respect their success got some massive hits and if they've toured with a band that I really really loved I would absolutely go and see them and support them and all that sort of stuff I just think this is really disappointing that's all I don't me personally I don't think it's as bad as what as what you do I think it's a, a decent record with some absolute bland shit on but if you if if you catch it in the right areas, Danny will put in a massive chorus and and get your blood pumping a bit. But other than that, yeah, this this isn't this isn't for me, man. Nope, me neither. Going to close out the noise podcast this week with the first ever Sam mates, and that is Sam's interview with uh, Alex Taylor, the vocalist from Malevolence. Really looking forward to checking that out myself, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. We are going to be back in two weeks, and on that show we're going to be reviewing the new record from bleed from within and we're going to have my chris meets with david sanchez the lead vocalist from uh, havoc luckily sam wasn't in on that interview because sam probably offered him out <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoyed the upcoming interview with uh, sam and alex uh, we will be back in two weeks time we love you bye all right so we've got alex from malevolence here um just finishing off the podcast we'll be speaking to him about the new ep and everything else but first of all this might be the weirdest set of circumstances that have ever existed in human history over the last two decades how has the how has the pandemic been treating you guys how has it been being abandoned all this sort of stuff how's it affected you um well you know we've had like uh some shows cancelled some festivals cancelled as i imagine every band in the world has right now um so but you know we're, we're just getting through it man it's like our mindset is we're just not going to let it you know there's plenty of stuff we can be doing whilst we're not playing shows uh so we're trying to stay productive you know keep writing and keep focusing on this new ep coming out uh we've got a lot of like things that's, that are going on like behind the scenes like merchandise and stuff to be doing so you know but it's given us a kind of opportunity to kind of get the the boring stuff you know like the admin mm. stuff that have been, have been like stacking up uh, out of the way but um it's been it's been cool to see everyone kind of like just making sure everyone's safe and looking after each other and 
Um, obviously, the, the the priority right now is everybody's health and the, the people that are most at risk at health. So um, for us to take a few a few months off playing shows for the, for that reason, that is you know it, it's you, we've got to do it. Um, so yeah. yeah, but we're no we're getting through it, man. We're staying positive. Oh, that's fantastic. So like. Does that does that mean you're doing sort of like Skype rehearsals or Skype writing sessions? Like, what's that look like with the practicalities? Are we talking like conference calls and things like that, or is it like, oh, I'll go away and sort the merch out, and everyone else can do these sort of bits, or is it email chains? What does that actually look like? Um, so mainly we uh, we just communicate via like a group chat. Um, I know Josh is at home writing riffs, and he'll send over some ideas, and you know we'll we'll chat about them and kind of talk about ideas for songs and concepts and where we want to go. Uh, whereas Wilkie will break off and do his his, his merch, merch stuff. Him and Charlie will handle that and have been doing an amazing job kind of keeping that uh, locked down and um, t- ticking over, you know, whilst whilst uh, we find ourselves in this situation. Um, so it's kind of everyone's just kind of doing their own little bits and just keeping in touch with each other via a group chat. Um, in terms of like practices and stuff, uh, they're just they're put on hold for now because yeah, um, it's not really a priority. No, no, no. I I completely understand that. It makes sense as well. Like you said as well, it's um it's a safety thing, isn't it? That's got to take precedence. That's got to take priority. Um, so let's talk Absolutely. about let's talk about the new EP, The Other Side, coming out on April twenty fourth. Um, first release since twenty sixteen. So the the, the opening question is releasing it as a three track EP. What was behind that decision making process, bringing out an EP now? Um, so we just wanted to uh, release like a short body of work that kind of uh, showed people, you know, we're still here, we're still active, we're still like doing our thing. Um, but also, yeah, we're well aware that, you know, uh, we, we're never one of these bands that can churn out an album every two years. Um, we put a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of work into everything that we release. So um, we just wanted something to kind of bridge the gap between um our last album and the next album but also give a piece of work give a body of work that's going to demonstrate you know uh our songwriting songwriting abilities and challenge ourselves a little bit that's why we've kind of pushed the boat out a little bit on these songs i feel like they are um kind of unique in each song's unique in its own way um but yeah we just kind of wanted to uh just kind of keep keep momentum going and you know this is this is why I'm in a band to release music and to to show people and I'll you know when it comes to like doing the videos and stuff like that that's my favorite probably my favorite side of the creative process is like seeing it all come together and uh yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun so yeah we just wanted to keep keep the momentum going I guess yeah I completely understand that I want to want to touch on something you said because I when we last spoke a few months ago you said that to expect the songs to be different and 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 now that I've heard the EP, we're having this conversation about it, and now you've referenced it yourself. These are different sounding songs, particularly so the title track, um, the other side. That's that 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 blew me away, by the way. I think that's I think that's one of your strongest pieces <laughs> of material to, to date. But it is if you, you if you put that on and said this is malevolence, I'd be like, fuck off, no one's a bit <laughs> no way, absolutely not. Yeah, but, yeah. but but um but then it then it then it kicks into the traditional sort of malevolent style. But this opening is so powerful. How did how did that how did that come about? How did you write that song? Was it 
Uh, I, I don't know because it's so different from everything else you put across. Was it? Did you go in with a deliberate mindset to write something that sounded like that, or was it sort of happenstance? What What was the decision making behind something like that? Um, so I, I mean, Josh had kind of as a uh, turn. I think he'd put like a, a, a rough kind of basis of the track in the group chat, um, and we, he was like, "Yeah, but this is something really different." Um, but listen to it, see what you think. And for, as soon as I heard it, I was just like, "This is this is huge! Like this this is something different." Um, I mean, we've kind of like, you know, um, ventured a little bit down that path on like the softer side with some of our other songs, like "Turn to Stone." But this one is way more kind of it's 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 different to them. I, I feel it's way okay. way more um, melodic and. I just thought I just saw it as like a good opportunity to know, you know, we can really show off like our, our songwriting abilities and take try something completely new. Um, so we uh, we kind of got together when we changed the song about. We started putting some lyric uh, ideas together, and then um, yeah, we kind of got a concept for where we wanted to take the song lyrically. Um, and me and Wilkie kind of started writing the lyrics together and. Um, trying out different ideas and then we took them to con and con would add add his own melodies add his own harmonies um change a few of the lyrics to kind of fit his style and we just kind of all worked together to make this 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 you know what it make it what it is um but the, the end product i think we were all really proud of because again it is like i say something that's completely different and I think it'll catch a few people off guard. This is why we chose to release it last, because I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's something that will be a talking point. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun to write, and it was a lot of fun to try something different out of our, it definitely pushed us out of our comfort zone. Um, so, yeah, we just, but it just, the whole process just felt kind of very, like, smooth and natural. Like, it wasn't, like, forced or anything, trying to, trying to fit, fit the lyrics to that song. It just kind of, just kind of came out and um, yeah, it turned out turned out really, 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 really cool. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's terrific. Does that also explain then why a it's the title track of the EP and b the artwork of the EP is so significantly different from all the other albums? Does it feel that that has become the centerpiece and of of what you're trying to produce almost in this in this EP? That's become like the central figure. Yeah, I mean like. The whole point of this EP was obviously to keep the momentum going, but we we said from the start that we didn't want to um, cut any corners. We wanted to make it even better than the, the last release, and that's what we want to continue to do with every release. So, I mean, when it came to the artwork, we uh, we commissioned Eliran Cantor, mm-hmm. and we we went to uh, Treehouse Studios, and we really kind of focused our efforts on building a really good team in order to make this EP and pull it all together and um, just kind of step up, step things up. What, what we always want to do as a band is just keep elevating and keep taking them steps and just keep going and going and building ourselves up. And that's so everything that we did on this EP is just kind of like maybe pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone um, and seeing what we can do for ourselves. Like I said, um, before the, the EP is, is kind of everything's funded by the people who support Malevolence, like everything from like the music videos production is entirely self-funded and it won't be possible without anyone who supports us. So um, it felt right to kind of give them something a little bit different and keep, you know, keep, 
keep it keep it cool but keep it malev as well yeah i've got just a quick question on that you're absolutely right i think i think the decisions that you've made by the way are, are really really work i think i think choosing lyrum for, for the for the artistic direction is he's, he's, he's worth his money some of the work there is just superb with the stuff he did for ice earth and testament and things like that but um you guys release your own ep pretty much on your own label is that right um ltvd mm-hmm. music um now obviously that's that's a decision that a lot of bands are making at the moment but um you seem to be really really like keen on making sure it's everything's in-house everything's malevolent own it's it's this independence sort of stuff um why was that so significant to you guys rather than say a nuclear blast metal blade road hammer handling malevolence's music i mean we've uh, we've been on on labels for the previous two albums um and we felt just this time we just wanted to i mean we've always been a very independent band we like having control over things um and we, we've just that's the way we've always done it we've always like done the merch ourselves we've done the videos ourselves everything's been done you know to how we wanted but so i feel like this time we kind of just really wanted to drive home the fact that you know you can do it yourself and um so yeah it's like bring the people who support the band are the ones that uh, the bands are the ones that make them possible so like without any of the people who support us this record wouldn't have happened um but that being said, yeah, we've always just been a DIY band and we like having complete control and I felt like self-releasing, like especially with a short body of work, self-releasing the EP through Malevolated Records was just the most sensible reason to be, sensible path to take. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so you see yourself splitting between label releases and your own releases in the future? Do you see yourself working independently moving forward? Um, to be honest, it, it's kind of... It's up in the air, really. I mean, I'd never write off the idea of going back onto a label. Um, but for the moment, I just know that going on doing the self-releasing route is uh, is the best route for us and gives us complete control over, like, um, the creative side and also, like, the financial side as well. Like, it's just everything's in-house. It's managed by ourselves. And um, for now, it works. It, that's, the, that's what works best for us. But, yeah, I wouldn't. I would never write it off in the future. Yeah, no, no, of course. So, uh, alongside the other side which we've spoken about, there's also uh, a track featuring Brian from Knock Loose, and that, and that, that obviously is is going to sort of attract fans because, especially when you guys are touring together, there seems to be a lot of real chemistry between the two groups as well. Um, how did the how did you two working together come about? Like, because when when he comes into that song. The song, the tone shifts not just because he's on it, but what you're doing musically, you seem to have picked a, um, a knock loose esque portion of the song for him to come into and then you transition mm-hmm. back into another riff after he his vocals are finished so when you're writing that song did he come in later and you sort of structured the song around him or was it like a collaborative writing style where it's like okay we'll fit you in what we're doing here so to speak um so with that song um we, I, I knew that I, I only wanted to have one guest feature on this EP. Obviously, it's only three tracks, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to have one. Uh, and I knew I, I knew I wanted to have Brian from the start because I just he, he's a good friend. He's like we've uh, obviously we toured with him at the end of last year. Um, all of them guys are really close friends. Um, we've known them for quite a while actually. Probably I think we met them in 2016 when we played the US for the first time. Okay, a couple of them guys. A couple of them guys came out to one of our shows over there um, when we were on tour with Kublai Khan and Jesus Peace. 
Um, and I'd, I'd been listening to that band um, to not lose for a while before then. So that was our first opportunity to meet. And ever since then, we've kind of had a good friendship. And like, you know, we I think we're we're quite like-minded and we, we like similar things. So we've always got along well. Um, and then we met. Um, sorry, then we, we did the tour with them last, last year, like I said. And we filmed a video for it. And then it was it wasn't up and I think it was the day before we left for that tour that Brian uh, had the time because he'd been on tour as well. It wasn't until the day before our tour that he'd uh, had chance to do the guest vocal spot. So yeah. on the first day at all, we, we turned up and it was kind of all new. Um, but yeah, I just I feel I felt like his vocal, vocal style like fitted that part quite well. And I just want it was cool to have a, like, you know, a good friend on the track. And um, and then we decided pretty much on the first day at all, uh, we had our friend Elliot Ingham, uh, who was on tour with Not Loose there as well. And we're just like, you know what, we're all here. Let's film it. Let's film a video for it as well. And it was very like natural how it all came together. There was just like pretty much we just he Brian would come out and do the part uh, every night of the, of the tour, and we just ended up you know creating this really sick short video out of it. So. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was very natural really, and it just seemed like a good choice um, to have you know one of the boys on on the track. Yeah, no doubt about it. It seemed to really blend um, really nicely. Um, so as well, we talked about talked about the new EP coming out. Carl Brown, the producer, Trivium and Bullet from Valentine. That's two very polished, very massive metal ma- massive metal bands over mm. the last sort of decade, and I've got a real real signature sound, especially when. Um, bullet and trivium sort of really 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 noticeable really up, up in your face really clean a really sort of sound mm. um what was the decision making process behind um picking carl and is it is it a hint at sort of the ambition moving forward in malevolent especially with the songwriting um uh, moving forward into these um more bigger almost nightclub feeling sort of sounds um of, of carl brown's metal metal sort of work there yeah, absolutely. So we we got in touch with Carl through uh, our friends Martin Spreets. Um, they'd been uh, writing their last album with him, um, and I think the the, the conversation came up uh, that we should hit up Carl. Um, and again, that was that was really natural. We we hit them up. Uh, we hit Carl up. He, he was really stoked on uh, what the ideas that we sent him, and uh, and he's a great. Guy. He really kind of he really gets the sound that we're kind of going for and um i think he did an amazing job in making us sound massive um mm-hmm. and that's what that's what we've been pushing and pushing for you know like the the better productions and you know just the bigger sounds and i think um absolutely this is this is the direction that we'll, we'll be going in the future just keeping that keeping that energy um and that's one thing i really like about carl he's managed to capture like the energy of Malev, I feel like, um, which I think is a hard thing to do because of the style of metal that we play. Absolutely. You know, it's, there's a lot going on. Um, and I think he did a really good job of, of capturing that. And he, he's a really cool guy to work with, a lot of fun. Um, and he's based not too far away from Sheffield. So it just kind of, it all, you know, just fits together nicely. And um, yeah, really happy with how he, uh, or with the work that he did. Yeah, completely agree. It sounds fantastic. Um, I've got a question on production because um, you hear over the source of like through metal history here, sort of classic albums, a lot of them involve sort of producers being either one of two roles, sort of like a step back and let the band sort of do what the fuck they want and then just press play and stop at various points, sort of like the Rick Rubin approach where you sort of turn up and then to go away for three months and come back again. And there's other sort of producers that are more sort of hands on, even involved in sort of 
some of the direction the songs are taking. Um, what was the relationship mm. like with, with Carl and, and other producers in general, actually? What's the relationship like with Malevolence when it comes to writing songs? You said that you shared music with him prior to working together and, and that, that led to the decision. How involved is that process when you're actually in the studio? Um, so uh, we actually, were, so we, we went, I think we did uh, the guitars and stuff with like, it was all on separate thing, uh, separate days. Um, so we'd, uh, it was quite, it was, a, it was a bit more of the first hour approach, I guess, uh, that you, you said, mm. um, you kind of sit back and then maybe make the odd suggestion here and there. Um, but it, with Malev, it's kind of one of them where we, 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 we went in, we went in pretty much ready to record straight away and then other than a few minor tweaks there wasn't much uh in the, in terms of like changing the, the songwriting styles um in uh, how the songs are structured as such maybe with the lyrics and like the the delivery of them there was like a few things that we changed and uh we redid um but it was he was kind of like you know like happy to let us, us crack on um which was cool, you know. I mean, like you know, he was he was into it, um, but yeah. So it was it was more of a, a hands off approach. But again, we kind of went there with you know, with the almost pretty much finished product, and there was just a few minor tweaks here and there. Oh, fantastic! So the EP's coming out April twenty fourth. We've got a last couple of questions for you before we head away. Assuming assuming that we're not still fighting over toilet paper in Asda Car Park by sort of June July, and you've got this chunk <laughs> this last couple of three months prior to Christmas. What does the last few months mm. of the year look like for Malevolence, assuming we all get let out of our houses? Assuming we all get let out and everything goes back to normal, which I, I'm not holding out for, but you me you both, know, mate. fingers crossed, then, yeah, then we will be very busy. Um, we've, we're, we're working on plans right now for a UK and European tour, um, and we've, we've got a few things which... Uh, I can't say much about it yet, <laughs> but you, it, we'll, be, we'll be busy. We're not going to waste any time. As soon, as soon as we can get back out to playing shows and, you know, in, in doing what we do best, then we, will, we, won't mess, we won't mess about. No, of course not. And finally, you're locked in a house. What's the pandemic jam? What's the, what's the tunes you're listening to? What gets you through the day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, you know. Um, right now, I've been listening to a lot of DMAs. Okay. Um, from Australia, they are like my, uh, they're my, they my go-to at the minute. They've got some great albums. I think they've got a new album coming out as well, uh, called Silver. But yeah, they're they're my go-to band, and they're at the MTV Unplugged Live album, especially. Wow, MTV Unplugged. I'm starting to see the influence on a, <laughs> on a few of the earlier stuff. I appreciate <laughs> that. All right, thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I really appreciate you taking your time today, man. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. No worries. Thank you very much.